Ladies and gentlemen, episode 31. Yes, 31. We're old. Love the Rocktown Sports Podcast. Rockingham County's only all-local sports podcast. Isn't that right, Cody? That's right. That's who's sitting across from me right now, ladies and gentlemen. Cody Elliott, preps writer here at the Daily News Record. As always, I'm your host, Jim Sacco. They call me sports editor. I call myself many other things other than that. Uh, none of them too nice. But anyway, uh, God, that was really a terrible opening, wasn't it? Uh Cody, I we we know why you're here. Uh, you're here to talk uh, week one of uh, high school football, Cody. What I mean, I guess let's talk about the big game. That was Spotswood at East Rock. Spotswood and Coach Dale Shiflet finally get off the Schneid. There, they get their first win in one, two, three years uh, over East Rock, twenty to twelve. I look like it was a sloppy first half. How much did the did not having quarterback Ryan High make a sloppy first half for Spotswood in that one? Yeah, I mean, especially for them, it just, um, you know, they never could seem to, what, their running game was working very well. Um, Ethan Barnhart obviously had a huge night, close to 300 yards rushing on the night, um, 31 carries. I think I had him for 298. Um, so a big night for him, but offensively, in terms of the passing game, I thought they were trying early. I thought they kind of wanted to maybe throw it a little bit. Um, they had a, they had Colton Good start off. He was just kind of the handoff quarterback, I guess you could say. He was simply, you know, there to kind of hand the ball off to Ethan Barnhart and Ben Conahan and watch them do their thing. And then they would bring in Cole Myers. And when Myers came in a couple of times early, he went he dropped back to pass. Um, the first play, I think he was sacked for thirteen or fourteen yards. The next time he dropped back, he was sacked again for thirteen or fourteen yards. So I'm not sure, you know, what the confusion was there because you know you don't see that happen to Ryan High a lot. So I don't know what happened there. Um, but I thought after that early, you know, after getting sacked a couple of times, and then there was a halfback pass that Barnhart attempted that went completely, you know, way out of bounds. It wasn't even close. So after those couple of plays early, it was almost like they kind of said, you know, forget it. We're just going to ground and pound it here and see what we can do here. And you know, obviously Barnhart with his big night kind of just carried them all the way to the win what did you see out of east rockingham i mean we have talked before the preseason we talked during the preseason that you know this might not be a team that to count out despite losing 20 seniors did you see enough to make you think that that's the right way to go about things and the way to think about that squad yeah i mean i think they're going to be okay i think the biggest key for them is you know knowing that they're not quite the same team they were last year where they aren't able to go, you know, three, four, five wide and, and kind of toss it all over the field. Um, not that Tyce McNair isn't capable of doing that, but I thought, you know, especially on Friday against Spotswood. Now, is every defense they're going to play going to be as good as Spotswood? No, but against Spotswood, they really struggled at times to get the, the passing game going. And I thought there was a couple of times throughout the contest where they it kind of killed momentum for them. They'd get a couple of big runs from Trenton Morris or Tyce McNair, and then they'd have two or three incompletions in a row, and it really just kind of killed a couple of drives. Um, East Rock got into spots with Terry, spots with territory quite a bit. Um, obviously scored twice. Trenton Moore's ran one, and he caught one. Um, but, you know, they just – there was several times throughout that game where they had chances to take the lead or take momentum, and they were killed by a couple of incompletions or a couple of plays like that. Um, and then, obviously, the big play that really I thought was the difference in the game was late in the fourth quarter – when, you know, Tyce McNair hits Lane Comer, they finally get a big play in the passing game. Lane Comer gets caught from behind by Colton Good um, down at the five or six. And then, you know, a couple plays go backwards, a penalty here or there. And then East Rock opts to kick. The kick is blocked. And that, in my opinion, that was the game.
thing. Um, from there, Spotswood, you know, proved it and it ultimately ran out the clock. But, you know, I thought, I thought both teams looked young. It looked like a season-opening game. Um, East Rock, I don't think, you know, I think they've still got plenty to look forward to. I mean, I don't think they're going to play anybody as good as Spotswood the rest of the year. Uh, Spotswood hosts William Monroe this coming week, uh, this coming Friday. East Rock gets, a, uh, gets an early season bye. Uh, and if it wasn't for these two teams playing this past Friday, East Rock and Spotswood, this is probably the game we'd be talking about. Turner Ashby, for the first time in nine years, wins its season opener. That was 24-2 to over at William Monroe. Yes, William Monroe is a down team, but you and I talked about this last week. We knew that TA had to come across that mountain celebrating, and what a way to do it. First time they the defense has uh, kept the team without a touchdown since 2016, and that's a team that probably really that that needed to win that one. Yeah, I mean, anytime you don't allow a team to score a touchdown, that's good. But considering all we've talked about for the throughout the preseason, all last week, everything, you know, we're talking about a team that gave up 41.3 points per game for the past two years. I mean, it wasn't like they were just a an average defense that had a good game last week. That was a defense that has been really really bad the past two years and and to come out there and and only give up you know a safety which isn't obviously on the defense's fault but to only give up a safety um and you know just kind of go over there and and that's what I talked about before I thought they need to just go over there come away with the win no matter how they got it and I think it's it can be the start of something that can you know turn the program around um that's just you know it's got to be huge for them just in terms of mentally um kind of getting over that hump knowing that your defense can get stops and seeing that seeing the production on the field um, that's got to be a huge thing for, for Chris Frazier and that group, and I think it's going to pay pay off for them moving forward. And this coming Friday, they host uh, Western Elmore. Now, Western Elmore is an interesting team. It's a team that has consistently been in the playoffs, but you know this is their first game of the year, the, the Western Elmore, so we're not too sure what they're bringing to the table. They did have a benefit game against Stanton last week, and, and it looked to be very low scoring. I lost track of where it was at halftime. Uh you know what is this TA team? How do, if you're if you're Chris Frazier, how do you build off this momentum? I think this game actually. You know, I know Western is a is a perennial playoff team, and, and we're used to seeing them have a lot of success. But I think this is a type of game that could play into TA's favor, just in terms of you know they showed last week. Maybe they they want to get in these low scoring physical games. Um, you know, that's kind of what we knew TA when they were most successful. That's what they are known for doing. Um, I think. What you're going to see in West is you're going to see a team that likes to run the ball a lot, and I think you know TA might have the type of defense to maybe put that to a stop. Now, obviously, this is going to be a much bigger challenge than William Monroe was, and, and there's no doubt about that. But I think that if they can continue to develop their offense and get Grant, Swan- Grant Swanhart more involved a little bit more, um, Haskins showed the ability to throw it last week. He had a touchdown pass to Jared Peake. You know, if that offense can continue to develop and the defense now plays with some confidence, plays with, you know, a little bit more belief in themselves, I, I don't see any reason they can't keep this game close. And I think if it comes down to the fourth quarter, it's a home game in Bridgewater. You know, I think they, they have a chance to pull it off and upset this week. Uh, C.J. Haskins showing that he can throw the ball was definitely a plus for this team. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I, mean, I, I mean, there was no question mark maybe in, in the coaching staff's mind about that, but I think there were some question marks in, in, in my mind, and I don't know, I'm not going to speak for you, uh, but in my mind about whether or not he can really sling the ball around and, you know, wouldn't be m- much more than just a, another running option yeah, uh, I mean, next to Grant. It's very easy to say, you know, you throw a baseball player back there and think he's just going to be able to throw it. Yeah. But uh, as we saw with Colt Myers at Spotswood, it's not always that easy. There's a lot that goes into playing that position. And, um, yeah, I mean, he came out and just to get a touchdown pass and – 
that's a, like like for the defense. I think that's a huge mental thing for him, just to build that confidence. Let him know, hey, I can. I've got a touchdown pass under my belt. You know, I don't know what his final numbers were, but I know he. You know, he had a, a pretty strong debut. Um, and, and last year, you know, Tyler Quick was a great option in terms of the run game last year at quarterback for them, and he, he got the job done for them. But they weren't able to throw it as well as they probably wanted to, and they had some good receivers. So to get that in the first game, get things started like that, to add that along with the, the running abilities of Swinehart, I just think that's, you know, a great thing for all of them. Uh, it, coming up next, uh, well, I mean, the Danny Grog era uh, began with a 29-13 loss at home to Vuvana County. I don't think it's. I mean, it's one game. Yeah, I mean, I, and and they did show some flashes of improvement, but the big thing was they didn't take care of the football. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I kind of talked about it on Twitter a little bit after the games that night. And I don't think anybody thought Danny Grog was going to come in here and build a, a Valley District contender overnight. Um, you know, they 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 lost a lot of key pieces off that team from a year ago. It's not just that they have a new coach; they lost a lot of good players, Brandon Cruz, um, you know, Nick Lore, all those guys. So. They have a lot of young guys on that team. Cole Hoover at quarterback as a sophomore. That was his first varsity start. Um, they didn't even actually originally go with Hoover. They went with David Thu, who is probably one of the best athletes on the team, and, and then he ended up moving to receiver. Um, I thought they showed enough flashes. You know, Hoover had ended up with over 100 yards passing, I believe. Um, Thu had some good numbers at the receiver spot. So they, they showed some flashes. I think the biggest thing for them right now is just trying to build that identity. Um, they talked about having a balanced offense throughout the year. Um, I don't think – you know, I don't think Danny Grog wants to continue to put out two quarterbacks each week. Um, I think he wants to find his guy, and I think Cole Hoover is going to be that guy. I think David Thu is going to move to the slot. I think Cole is going to be the guy at quarterback for now. Um, it's unclear if Caleb Williams is ever going to be able to return to the field at this point. Um, so I think for them, just building that identity um, offensively is going to be a big key. Taking care of the football, obviously, whenever you have a young team. Um, but Fulvana County is a good team. I mean, they're, they're a playoff team from a year ago. They return a lot when, a, you know, a lot of – keep players back in good positions. Um, so that's not a terrible, terrible loss to open the year. It's, you know, 29-13. Obviously, they hoped for a better performance, but they didn't get blown out. And, you know, overall, I think there's a lot of positives they can take away from that. And as a, as a former defensive coach, uh, it had to make Danny, Danny Grock smile a little bit that the first points of his head coaching era came on defense. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I, I believe it was uh, T- Timothy Lapp. Mm-hmm. Um, takes the 30-yard fumble recovery back. So, yeah, a strong start. I, like I said, I think they'll be fine. And I think especially when you look around the Valley District and how some of these other teams fared in the first week, besides Spotswood, who, you know, obviously I think is a little bit above everyone else, I think the rest of the district is kind of there for the taking. And, and I think, you know, if they, like I said, if they can get their offense together a little bit quicker, um, I think they'll be all right. Uh, last city county game of last week was Harrisburg going down the Roanoke to take on William Fleming, and it did not go well for the Blue Streaks. They fall fifty-two to ten uh, to the Colonels. Uh, it's a young team, and, and Coach Chris Thurman's been preaching that all preseason. And while he's been preaching how young it is, he's been preaching how excited he's been about coaching a young team. It just looked like a lot of a whole lot of different things just didn't go right for the Blue Streaks. Yeah, well, I know you know for the past few weeks the the two players that we knew that were going to perform well coming into the season for Harrisonburg that we absolutely knew we've seen it before was Quentin Smollett quarterback and Mateo Parrick the kicker. And you know, funny enough, those two were the that's only where the ones. points came. That's from. That's where the points. Yeah, I mean, Quentin Smollett finishes with. Uh, 150, 160 yards of total offense. Um, Mateo Parrott kicks a 34-yard field goal. Other than that, just not much going. Um, I know there was a lot of questions in the secondary for Harrisonburg. 
Um, they thought their defense, you know, had some some pieces there that could be successful. But I thought what you just saw was just a young team that was just kind of maybe, you know, overtaken by the moment and um, didn't re- didn't really know what to respond. And it seemed like things kind of just snowballed for them once that once it started going downhill. And that I think is what happens a lot with young teams is once you get in a hole early, um, you know, they, they if they get that seventeen ten or twenty four ten lead, all of a sudden. You know, things start to kind of unravel, and I think that's what happened for Harrisonburg on Friday night. And they welcome uh, longtime rival John Hanley to Harrisburg Friday. It's not getting any easier. So, yeah, this is not getting any easier for the Blue Streaks, uh, at least not until some of the, the lower half of the Valley District schedule starts. But, I mean, let's be real here. If you're talking city-county, there I don't, you know— Broadway and Turner Ashby aren't easy wins. It doesn't seem like for the Harris for the Blue Streaks this year. No, I mean it, it. It's far too early to say you know the season's over or anything like that. But it's I think that with the way that performance, you know, William Fleming only won a game last year, and and to come out there and and get dominated like that, I just think that it it could be a rebuilding year, and I think that's okay. I think you know. I, Chris Thurman has talked about the importance of being patient with this team, and I think he's definitely going to have to do that in the upcoming weeks. Any of these uh, outside the, the city-county games surprise you, uh, Cody? I I like to point out that Clark County uh, demolished Buffalo Gap 42 nothing, and uh, Strasburg, another team I'm high on, uh, went over to West Virginia and beat East Hardy 35-15. Yeah, I thought um, Clark County and Strasburg were both impressive. I was really impressed with that Clark County win. I moved them up quite a bit in my power rankings this week. Um, Four slots, to be exact. Yeah, I mean, bu- Buffalo Gap, I, I know that they lost Carter Riverberg, and I know they've got some questions there with the first-year head coach, but they're still Buffalo Gap, and they still have a tradition of winning. They still are always a tough-nosed football team. You don't see them get beat 42 nothing a lot like that, and especially considering that's the same team that beat Clark County last year in the first round of the yep. playoffs. So for Clark to come out and kind of make a statement there, I think, you know, arguably they kind of put themselves as the favorite, at least or them and Strasburg up there as the favorites now in that bull run. Um, I thought LeRae's win over Central was also impressive. That's, that's uh, excuse my French, that's a hell of a win by the Bulldogs. Yeah, that mean, is, that's to, a heck of a win. To take care of business and – and go up there, uh, three different guys almost with uh, 100 yards rushing. And then the other one was Rockbridge County. I know it was just <laughs> yeah. Perry McClure. Um, I know Perry McClure isn't exactly, you know, a, a powerhouse football program, but anytime you put up 62 yeah, points. Still, goodness I gracious. mean, and they had uh, Miller J come in there. Their, their new starting quarterback came in in the first half, threw for three touchdowns. Ty Rowley comes in in the second half, runs for three more. Um, just a dominating performance there, I think. You know, if, if their defense is improved, as I've mentioned in the preseason, if their defense is improved at all, they're going to give Spotswood everything they want this year in the Valley. That's going to be a heck of a game, Spotswood, against Rockbridge County. Where's that at? Do we know? I believe that's in Penn Laird. It's in November. Oh, goodness it's towards the end of the year. Uh, Page County didn't play. They're at Nelson County. Stanton didn't play. They're at Covington. Uh Fort Defiance didn't play. They're at Liberty Bedford. Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, <laughs> Waynesboro. Waynesboro, there we go. Waynesboro goes over to Wilson Memorial and probably, as expected, loses forty-one nothing. Yeah, I just uh, it's it's going to be a long year for Waynesboro. Um, they just don't have enough bodies, they don't have enough depth. Um, they don't have very much experience. They've got a, a lot of freshmen playing two ways on that team, um, which you just don't see on the varsity level, you know, much at all. Um, and and that Wilson team is a good team. Wilson, I think, is going to get you know it's going to be Wilson or Fort's going to grab that Shenandoah spot in the Region Three C playoffs, and I think Wilson's got a good chance of getting in there. Um, they've got a good quarterback in Kane Welcher, and they've got a good running attack. So um, between them and Storstrap, which is, you know, 
actually wins from his opponent this week is Source Draft. So both of those teams are good teams, and I just think that's that's a rough start to the year. And then once they get into district play later in the year, I, I don't see it turning around anymore. I just it's hard to see a win on that Waynesboro schedule. I mean, what do you? I guess if you're if you if you are Waynesboro, what are you doing? I mean, what do you? Are you just? Are you just? I mean, seriously though, are you looking just for improvement week to week? Are yeah, you that's trying? All you can do. I, are, I, are, are you trying to get these freshmen and sophomore reps out there? I mean, I would think that's what Sean Moran wants to do. Is he wants to get the? He probably knows that you know even if you put his best players out on the field this year, they're probably not going to win many games. So I think if, if you're Sean Moran, you're trying to get these freshmen, these sophomores out there because all this experience is eventually going to pay off. You know, it might not pay off this year, but it may pay off next season or two years down the road. Um, the more time they can get on the field, as hard as it may be right now, as the more time these young freshmen and sophomores can get on the field, um, it'll eventually pay off for them. Uh, Cody, you're going to Turner Ashby. Uh this week, Friday night, is there a game that you would like to go to just to watch that you would recommend fans go to to just to watch? Well, I think, you know, in, the, in our city-county slate, I think TA Western is the one that kind of stands out just because you have a 1-0 Turner Ashby team against a Western team that's a, a regular playoff team. Um, I think Broadway has a chance to get, get their first win against Skyline. But, you know, when you look at some of these other games, I'm not sure how Harrisonburg and Hanley is going to fare out. Hanley's been a really good team in Spotswood. I think, you know, if Ryan Hyde's back especially, I think they have a, a major advantage against um, William Monroe. But outside of our city county. I don't think county, it matters either way in that one. I, I, don't, I don't either. <laughs> um, but outside of our city county, I just think the one game that stands out the most to me is LeRae and Wilson. Um, you've got two 1-0 teams there and two teams that I think are going to be playoff um, teams this year, so uh, I think that'll be a fun game. Two former Shenandoah district rivals, um, they always seem to play each other tight, and I think you've got two good football teams there, two good running teams, um, so that'll be a fun one to watch this week. You folks should know what to do already. It's hashtag DNRFB on Twitter. you got to follow Cody. you got to follow the DNR Sports account. You can follow me as well because I do, you know, I help out a little bit with some of the DNRFB stuff. Uh, you got Cody's got, already got his power rankings up. He's got... Uh, Five three five things three tops coming up, and then he's got his by the numbers coming up. These are all blogs, by the way. Uh, and then I think that's all your for today, yeah. For your, your, your football <laughs> blogs, uh, and those will all be on DNRonline.com. And of course, we'll have the webcast coming Thursday. Uh, Cody, thanks for joining us today. And uh, if you want to get up out of your seat, we're going to bring in Greg Medea to talk some. Yes, that's right, that Greg Medea to talk about some JMU football. Well, that was Cody Elliott, preps writer here at the Daily News Record, talking a little bit about high school football. Now it's time to bring in the man, the myth, the legend, Greg Medea, JMU football beat writer here at the Daily News Record. Greg, how are you? It's been a been a while. Yeah, ha- happy to be here. Uh, it's been, I guess, since before JMU played a game, and they're now 0-1. <laughs> Uh, so no, happy to be here though. Uh, I gotta ask. I mean, uh, this you were up at the, in Morgantown Saturday, where JMU lost to West Virginia. Uh, what was that score? Twenty again? to thirteen. I, I had it written down here, and I lost it on my notes. There we go. <laughs> Twenty to thirteen. Uh, I gotta ask you a question, Greg. Yeah. Uh, in his uh, in his uh, post game comments immediately following the loss, uh, Kurt Signetti, James Madison football coach, was pretty. You know was straight and to the point, losing's unacceptable, and I'm paraphrasing here, losing's unacceptable, James Madison, uh, you know, we, we, you know, just, he wasn't happy uh, at the O'Neill's presser uh, luncheon, he was more, uh, you know, reflective maybe, he was more, you know, hey, we, you know, I'm proud of the guys, they went out there, so my question to you is, Greg, you were there, Uh, which is it, I mean? 
I think it's it's the first. Uh, I do think it's they had a shot to pull a win against a Big 12 team against his alma mater. You look at it, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. B- bottom line, it, it, just taking it at that note, uh, that's, that's what it is to me. I think maybe y- y- you reflect afterward and you're not upset because you can see some of the positive things your team did on film uh, if you're Kurt Signetti. But I think in the moment, the thought is you turn the ball over three times, you had a, a kick blocked, and you outgained West Virginia total yards and rushing yards. You really were the better football team for the better part of that game. And then you gave it away because because of those mistakes. And I think for Kurt Signetti, who has preached nothing but playing mistake-free football, has been uh, fundamental heavy uh, in practice, I think that hurts when they the opportunity opportunity was undoubtedly there for James Madison. And it was there. I mean, they... they... They, I mean, it's safe to say they might adopt. They, they dominated a Big Twelve team for for majority of that game. The first half completely. Uh, it was clear West Virginia had the better <laughs> offensive line. It was clear they had the better defensive line, and even Kurt said after the game that they really took it to him up front. West Virginia didn't really have an answer for what James Madison was doing on its offensive line, uh, and, and the Dukes were kind of just plowing. Uh, plowing forward uh, using a couple of different running backs, Percy Ajayo Bassey, Juwan Hamilton, of course, Solomon Van Horse, and even Austin Douglas, the true freshman, and it worked. Uh, they, they, they were running the ball at will. Ben DiNucci was making great decisions in the running game, I thought, using both his ability uh, to tuck it and run or give it on some of those, uh, on some of those read options. To me, they, the opportunity was there, uh, but when Percy fumbles in West Virginia territory that kills a drive that's a momentum a momentum stopper Uh, D'Angelo Amos the all-american punt returner uh, actually looked human and muffed the punt that can't happen that didn't hurt him because the defense ended up uh, stopping uh, West Virginia and and they did that too when Percy after Percy fumbled but because they're already in plus territory you got to get at least some points there you have a kick blocked that's something that shouldn't happen especially when Kurt said Ethan Ratke's been about 100% all the way through camp on the kicks he's taken. So to me, that's just that's just not good. And then you look at the end of the game, and for as good as Danucci was for, for most of it, uh, he makes the one interception. He makes the one mis- mistake, lone turnover of the game when he throws the interception late with about 10 minutes left. West Virginia then goes down and scores, yeah, three and that, plays, that's your ball game. Three, three plays, plays. at seven points. Yeah, yeah uh, so. But he was pretty efficient up to that point. I mean, only only seven uh, only seven incompletions, 13 for 20, 156 uh, through the air. I mean, did you see vast decision-making improvements up until that fourth-quarter interception out of him? I, I thought so, especially when you consider it's a new offense for him. Offensive coordinator Shane Montgomery and Kurt Signetti, it's their system that they put together. This is Danucci's fifth different system in five years in college football. <laughs> to me, I, I think he made great choices. You, you look, he was the team's leading rusher for most of the game until Van Horse uh, kind of took things over there. Well, what a story that is. But I thought Danucci was very good. I think he completed seven, six, of, six of his first seven throws, uh, maybe seven of eight. I can't remember exactly what it was. I'd have to look back at my notes. But... To me, he made most of the right decisions. He, he was very, very efficient. Uh, actually took some sacks, which I thought was positive. In the past, when, when he got a little crazy, he would throw the ball up and try to make a play. And that's what happened on that last one, too. Okay. But there were a couple situations where he just took the sack. And I thought 
for as bad as taking a sack is, it's not as bad as throwing a pick. Oh, no, no. So to me, I thought you saw some growth and you saw some maturity in Danucci that he and, and the offensive coordinator and the coach had talked about. And I think any football coach will tell you on any level that is a sign of quarterback growth when you know that there's a time you tape the sack and there's a time you throw it away. So I think people need to be looking at maybe that little bit of positive right there that he was, what did he take, four sacks? He took four sacks. Yeah, There are a couple of them on the offensive line, clearly, when, mm-hmm. they, when they got a little worn down in the second half. He was under duress most of that second half, under pressure most of that second half. And I think even Kurt said that. He did. He which, did. Which, which certainly creates some problems, and that's just a Big 12 team having more depth than, than James Madison and FCS team does. Uh, but I thought Danucci, for the most part, was pretty good on Saturday. Who is Van Horse? 12 rushes, 55 yards, a score. You know, who, who is this kid? Holy cow. I mean, this is <laughs> this is a great story, and I don't want to spoil my, my story gotcha. for, for, for Thursday's paper, I guess, but I can tell you now. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> if people like it, they can read the story, too. Uh, he was a kid who was not really recruited by anybody. Uh, I was, I've talked to his father. I talked to his high school coach. I'm uh, going to talk to him this afternoon, and he didn't have really anybody after him besides some preferred walk-on offers. Uh, when he decided to go to JMU, this is what I was told by his dad, Sean, who played in the NFL, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. What did he play for? He played for Minnesota, Detroit, a couple of different teams. Oh, he's an NFC North guy. Yeah, yeah. So he, he former Howard University standout, uh, but Sean was telling me that uh, when he decided to go to James Madison, Chattanooga actually offered him a partial scholarship afterward, and that was the only one. Uh, so that was the only opportunity he had to, to, to get some money to go play college football. Uh, but since he had already said to JMU he was coming, he wanted to stay true to his word. Uh, he's been great. He's been the Energizer Bunny is what, what Signetti refers to him as, or at least did in the spring. Uh, he, he's kind of the, the forgotten name, or I guess you could say early early in camp because he's behind some scholarship guys like a Jay Obisay and Hamilton. Hamilton, of course, has that FBS pedigree starting his career at UCF. Austin Douglas is this heralded freshman uh, that they got coincidentally out of Georgia. Van Horse is from Georgia as well, played in a powerhouse high school program in Georgia, though, at Milton High. Okay. And uh, he, he was great there, but uh, you look at him, he's not very big, so maybe that hurt him a little bit in recruiting, and, and you never know. Coaches sometimes just miss. Yeah, uh, some yeah. some some coaches just miss on talent, but Signetti really likes him. Works hard, runs really well, uh, has very good vision, I think too. Uh, and in a weird way, sometimes I think his size helps him because he tucks behind uh, those big offensive linemen, Bethea and Fornado, and can get up the field. So he's he's got how, what, what's his size? Do you have it handy? Yeah, I think he's like five six. Oh goodness gracious! He, he's a little bit shorter than I am when I oh, stand next to him. Goodness gracious! Is he uh, has he got a little burst with him? I mean, what oh, kind of he's he's he? got good speed. I know his high school football coach told me uh, that he had great track speed when he was when he was running as a track senior. He goes, I th- th- I think if I'm remembering the quote correctly, his high school coach Adam Clack is his name at Milton. He goes, I wish Percy had the track season uh, he had as a senior as a junior. Uh, because then the, the the college coaches would have been all over him. Oh, okay. uh, that's basically how he put it to me. So he's got some burst. 
uh, and kind of this relentless attitude that no matter who he's going to compete against, he'll he'll be pretty good. Did you see this coming? I mean, did you see that? I mean, you you've been out at the practices. Uh, you know, did you see this? You know, emergence. Even you know, we can all say, hey, it's just one game, but it's one game against an FBS opponent. Yeah, it's it's hard to say because I thought he would get a few touches, but I think Percy's fumble early in the first half, and I think Percy will get back into a regular rotation. Uh, maybe gave the other guys some more opportunity because I thought Percy would be the clear cut number one. Like if there was a guy that were going to run for a thousand yards on, on JMU's roster, it would have been my guess would have been Percy. Uh, but I think his fumble maybe led to Kurt opening it up a little bit and trying trying some different uh, options back there. And and Van Horse was the first guy off the bench. Uh, and he impressed. I think his first run was six yards, and his next run was seven. And then by the end of that drive, he, he was in the end zone. Real quick on the defense. I mean, you know, how about that for a sec? You know, that, that, that James Madison defense going up. I mean, it's been heralded. And it looks like it might have lived up to the building. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. They were good. I, I thought they were good. I know uh, they they – they blown. They blew some coverages late, or they blew the one coverage late that led to the last West Virginia touchdown. But before that, I mean, they were they were outstanding. I mean, they were put in some tough situations after all those turnovers and the and the missed kick and the block kick, excuse me. And in the middle of it, Dimitri Holloway, Rondell Carter, guys you expect to play well in that kind of environment did. Uh, Signetti did say Rashad was good for the most part. Had had a couple of pass breakups, of course, but. You could tell he hadn't played in a year and a half because because his last game was that North Dakota State Championship game in 2017. He looked winded, yeah. at times out there. Yeah, so and that comes from some injuries in camp too that, that Signetti had mentioned, uh, not practicing all the way through camp. But Holloway, uh, 13 tackles. Rondell, <laughs> I saw that line. Rondell, that line. yeah, I know. Rondell was a headache, and, and even West Virginia's coach Neil Brown said afterward uh, that he he thought. Rondell was as good as any defensive lineman they'll they'll see uh you know he compared him to like a big 12 defensive lineman uh after the game so I I thought I thought the guys you expected to be pretty good they showed up and it looks like that's a defense only to get better as year goes on because once again this is week one but when you say that just week one you got to remember it was against an FBS opponent a lot more scholies uh, plays in the big 12 so you know that's a good measure and stick for a defense yeah for for sure I think they're going to be fine uh for as much as James Madison fans probably left Morgantown upset because the opportunity was there, it was golden, I think there's a lot of good things to come for this JMU team this year. To me, uh, I think they're in for for a long season, uh, maybe one that ends in Frisco, but uh, I think they're in for, for a good year and, and one that's more like 2016 or 2017 as opposed to last year. All right, uh, real quick. This week, they finally, well, not finally, they open at home, or they, excuse me, they open their home schedule against St. Francis on Saturday. That's a 6 p.m. kick. St. Francis came back uh, to beat Lehigh 14-13 this past week. Here is St. Francis seems to have that typical little do-it-all guy in their team in Nick Ranella, uh, safety slash punt returner slash kick returner and occasional ball carrier out of the backfield. You talked a little bit to this guy uh, yesterday, uh, Monday. You know, what, you know what, what's James Madison expecting out of St. Francis? Yeah, I think because they're, they're, they're the home opener, I think Jamie knows what it's in for. But there's still some good respect between the two sides. Chris Villarreal, the coach at St. Francis, played for Signetti's dad at IUP. 
Uh, I know when I talked to Chris over the summer during those opponent previews, he goes, you know, Frank Signetti was a big part of, of his football career, not only coaching career, but uh, football career, helping him get to the NFL. He was a center for the Chicago Bears. Right. Uh, so I think there's some mutual respect between the head coaches. As far as St. Francis, they played good defense on Saturday. I don't care who you who you play against. If you hold the opponent to 11 rushing yards, that's, that's pretty impressive. And they did that this past Saturday against Lehigh. They lead the FCS in rushing defense. JMU is number three. Uh, maybe that it just depends on who you play. But yeah. uh, after one week, but take take. I mean, it, when you only it's, give up eleven, that's that's, that's the stat. That's, that's impressive. The stat. Yeah. That is impressive. No matter who you're playing, that's impressive. Right, and and I think Ranella does some really nice things in in special teams aspect. Uh, the flat the fact that he can flip the field on a moment's notice is is huge for that because if St. Francis is going to pull an upset in Harrisonburg, they're going to need some momentum swinging plays, and maybe he's the guy in the middle of it. Uh, also a standout at safety, and then, like you said, can run the ball if, if, if they need to stick him on offense. But their offense, I think, has some interesting pieces. Their quarterback and their wide receiver, they have a six foot eight wide receiver. They were teammates at Chancellor High in Fredericksburg. Uh, so couple of Virginia guys. I think they got seven or eight Virginia guys on the roster. So I think they, they'll be excited to come to Harrisonburg play. I know talking to the quarterback, Jason Brown, he said, it's pretty cool. Weren't, weren't really recruited by the schools in Virginia. He goes, man, JMU didn't even look at me. William & Mary didn't even look at me. The only school that offered was St. Francis, so I went there. Uh, so, you know, I think, I think you'll have some guys – uh, that that are excited to play the game, and, and it might be a decent uh, St. Francis uh, cheering section. Then, if uh, with uh, with those Virginia connections, it might be a, a sea of uh, fans up in one corner of Bridgeforth. Yeah, the, you know they stick them. They stick them in that. What is it like the lower corner of the high school side stands? Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you compare, if you call the one side the NFL stands, and you got the high school stands, I like on the other that. Side. That's a good comparison. The NFL to the, the high yeah, school. Yeah, it, it's it's what the venue is. Yeah. Uh, but they stick them in that lower corner there. So yeah, I think I think it'll be good. Uh, and they're going to sell beer at the game. So if it goes yeah. bad for either side, yeah, just uh, sorry, kids, no White Claw or Truly. <laughs> so you have to do it out your hard seltzer. Uh, but you can check out a uh, little story on that about the changes in uh, the entrances to James Madison. You'll be going through metal detectors, and there's the clear bag policy. Uh, and, of course, the, uh, the now the brand spanking new we're selling beer policy in uh, today's, uh, excuse me, in Wednesday's Daily News Record. Uh, Greg, thanks for joining us. I'm sure we'll see you during the course of the football season once again. Yeah, happy to do it. Happy to be here. Shane Metlin, uh, what's going on? Not too much <laughs> at the moment, but that's about to change because, uh, um, yeah, my college football season starts this Saturday. Yes. I know. <laughs> on the yeah. D3 beat. That's so. right. Bridgewater <laughs> College uh, hosts Gettysburg in its season opener on Saturday, a 7 p.m. kick or schedule kick. Hey, here, here's what's interesting about Bridgewater College entering the 25th season under head coach Michael Clark is that. You know, last year they were picked to finish dead last in the ODAC, or second to last. They were, they were picked pretty far dead down. Uh, they finished in second, uh, exceeded expectations. Uh, this year they're picked to finish second in the ODAC in the uh, preseason coaches poll. Once again, uh, you know, you wrote about it. This is a team that is looking to exceed those expectations uh, for the second straight year. I mean, how, how, how feasible is it for this team? What does this team need to do to, 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 to win the ODAC? Well, I mean, I think when I wrote that they're looking to exceed expectations, you know, there's only one way to do that, and that's to win the conference. But they look back at what they did last year, 
they lost to eventual champion Randolph Macon at Randolph Macon on a field goal in double or triple overtime. I can't remember <laughs> yeah, now at this point whether it was, it was double late. or triple <laughs> overtime. Yeah, and um, so they feel like, you know, they were one play away from claiming that championship and going to the playoffs last year. Why can't they do that this year, especially when they're going to have Randolph make it at home? They're going to have some of the tougher teams in the conference at home. Um, they're just an experienced group. They've got as much coming back as anybody in the league. So, you know, they feel like this is their opportunity to get back to where, you know, Bridgewater College was year in, year out for a while there under Michael Clark, you know, especially early this century. Um, and they feel like this is their chance to get back there and, uh, you know, maybe get back to the playoffs program that's been close to doing it a few times since that run from 2000 to 2005 but you know they feel like you know this is their year to get it done I mean it you know we'll talk about the defense uh, of Bridgewater here very shortly because it's you have to talk about the defense of Bridgewater College uh but I think the one thing that's kind of coming into this year is the experience on the offensive side I mean you got a fifth year quarter quarterback in Scroggins uh, you got a really good running back in Demetrius Gillespie's. If I pronounce his last name right, that's a good question. Okay, uh, <laughs> because um, there's been some uh, you know confusion on that name even within the uh, within the program within that's the staff. Nice. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, I think you got it right. Um, uh, but I, I think if in front of that is the you know as Michael Clark always says the the the, the constant question mark at the Division three level is a healthy offensive line. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what are we expecting out of this offense? And is that offensive line going to be healthy and, and able to, to protect Scroggins and open up holes for Demetrius? Um, you know, you never know if they're going to be healthy until they start playing games and see who gets banged up. But I would say their five starters that they have coming back, they're probably more comfortable with that than they were last year at this time. Last year, everybody was hurt. And, you know, Michael Clark is trying to figure out can I put a couple of tight ends at tackle or can I get a freshman? I was maybe just going to have JV play JV this year. Can he, you know, play a lot of snaps for us? This, you know, so that's what they were working with last year. This year, it's a more experienced group if they get them all back and on the field at the same time, which, you know, so far so good. But we'll see what happens once they start playing some games. And, you know, like you said, can they open some holes? Can they protect, you know, Jay Scroggins, which was, you know, something of an issue last year. He had a couple of games where he threw a ton of interceptions, but to be fair to him, he was throwing a lot of those interceptions under unbelievable pressure. And maybe he should have just taken sacks or, you know, thrown it 15 yards out of bounds. But, you know, he was under a lot of pressure. Yeah, he lived under duress last year. Yeah. I mean, he, he was he, he, had, he, he was renting an apartment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and – you know, I think they should be better along those lines. At least, was more comfortable with who they're playing there and have a little more size. Um, maybe not as much depth as they'd like, but you know, their starters should be fairly solid. And then, you know, Demetrius he averaged five yards a carry last year. He's not up there. There are a lot of thousand yard rushers coming back in this conference. It's almost shocking when you start going through the stats that almost every team has a thousand yard rusher coming back, except for Bridgewater, Demetrius. Lepe's he averaged about eight or he rushed for almost 800 yards last year um so he was up there but you look at what he was doing five yards carry sharing sharing the ball with some people last year I would think he has a chance to be you know one of the premier backs in the conference you know if the offensive line holds up they get him involved in the offense a little bit more and you know you might even see him getting more touches as a receiver 
this year than he did last year. He didn't really catch the ball a whole lot out of the backfield. Well, it's like it's like Michael Clark always says: he can't go to the waiver wire, he can't go to the transfer <laughs> portal. There's really none of that in Division Three. The the plug holes on the mm-hmm. the offensive line. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Hey, but we got to talk about the defense. I mean, here's a defense that was number one in the conference in yards per game last year, three forty one per game, and was second in sacks. It, it sacked quarterback twenty four times last season. I think it begins and ends with your preseason All-American, you know, linebacker Rashawn Myers. I mean, I it's a no-brainer, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, he's ODAC Player of the Year on that side of the ball coming back, uh, preseason All-American, like you said. And I think it shows a lot of respect for what he does because his stats don't just jump off the page. He has a lot of tackles. He has some tackles for loss. But, you know, he's not putting up gigantic numbers because he's getting double teamed all the time and that opens up a lot for other guys and they've got some really good linebackers they're gonna have uh you know malik crow i believe is his last name who's coming back off of injury this year they're gonna have a 325 pound nose guard kind of just jamming things up in the <laughs> middle um they've got some guys you know we we sit here we talk about what michael clark says because he's a guy who really knows this game and he'll He'll talk to you about it, which is a great thing when you're working with a coach. And, you know, what he says this year about his defense is he has at least a few guys who he thinks are not D3 players, but they wound up playing D3 for him, you know. Um, and Rayshon Myers at linebacker is one of those guys who, you know, originally signed D1, uh, just Coastal ended, Carolina. Yeah, it? ended yeah. up coming back, you know, to Virginia. He's a guy from uh, down around Danville. Um, so he ended up coming back to this area and, you know, finding a home at Bridgewater and obviously doing really, really well here. That's where Division Three coaches, I think, are, are, are at their happiest when someone like that falls into their laps. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like you're out recruiting that kid. He just kind of fills out the the thing online. Interested in yeah. playing football? You know, yeah. at Division Three. you know, he just fills it out online. And, and, and a guy like Michael Clark opens up his email and he sees that. And he's like, oh, goodness gracious me. Let me go down there and visit, you know, or, or something. Let me get this kid on the phone. Uh, again, that game is at 7 p.m. Saturday at the Joplin Athletic Complex. They play Gettysburg, and, and Michael Clark will tell you he's really kind of enjoyed this Gettysburg rivalry as of late. I think this is the third or fourth straight fourth straight year, I believe, where they're opening against them. Uh, you know anything about Gettysburg? Not a ton yet. I'm going to get into that, you know, later this week. I'm going to sit down with Michael Clark again um, on Thursday, I believe, and, you know, kind of preview that game. Um, but... You know, they went up there and handled them pretty easily last year. And, you know, it's one of those situations where, you know, you don't know how many of their guys they ended up getting back. Because exactly. like we talk about is D3 football. Sometimes people, you know, don't show up or they do show up and you weren't expecting either one. And um, there's that. But, you know, they handled them pretty easy last year. And I think that was really the moment, you know, in the second half of that game where – the players on that team and the coaches on that team kind of started to think, okay, well, you know, maybe they had us wrong. Maybe we will win more than one or two games and, you know, we'll be able to kind of compete in this conference in the ODAC. And, um, you know, because I don't think Gettysburg was supposed to be a bad team last year, and they went up there and handled them pretty easily on the road. Well, it should be a good game. I don't like the fact they're called the Bullets. I think they could have done better if you're uh, a Gettysburg. Your, your mascot <laughs> should be better, I think, than just the plain old Bullets. Shane, thanks yeah. for joining us and talking a little Division Three football. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you next week. I'm sure you'll have some JMU basketball news coming maybe and, and yeah. more Bridgewater College stuff. Oh, yeah, we'll definitely have that. And we should probably just do an episode sometime of what 
nicknames teams should have and schools should have. I agree have. Yes. I, the Bulls, I, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I think that's very disappointing. I would like to see the cannons yes. or like the, the generals or yeah. the you know the, the, the quartermasters would mm-hmm. be interesting. Yeah. I was actually thinking about that just Friday night driving to high school game going through. I was coming down 33, cut through the national park, come down the hill into Elkton and I'm thinking why is East Rock the Eagles? Why don't they have something to do with the national park right there? Why aren't they the Rangers or the Black Bears or something that's like really unique to the area? Yeah, I, here's what blew my mind. Is it's, uh, while we as we get off topic, <laughs> yeah, was, was brand new Colgan High School up in Prince William County. Well, not brand new. It's been over for about what two, three years now. Colgan High School now named after the the, the great former state senator uh, Charles Colgan, <clears throat> uh, who ran Colgan Air. And if I'm not mistaken, he was a pilot himself. So they're like called like I mean seriously, I don't know what the, they're called like the the Cougars or something. Just really like there's 300 other names of these in the Virginia yeah. High School League. How are you not like the the pilots or something? And you make your mascot like you know Charles Colgan was a very uh, uh, unique individual. He was just a little guy, round face, you know, gray hair. How do you not with glasses? How do you not like make it like a cartoonish kind of 1940s World War II bomber with the bomber jacket on, and it, it's almost the likeness of, of Colgan. Yeah, I, I had the same issue when I worked up in Culpeper with, uh, you know, their high school there, Culpeper County High School, they're the Blue Devils, and then they opened up Eastern View. The Cyclones. And they came up with the Cyclones, and neither one does anything with all the history there from the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, or just anything that makes the community unique. That's that's my number one thing about when you're picking out a nickname and you get to start from scratch is, like, do something about what makes your community or your school or whatever unique and so tennis. It's so often it, they just go generic. And again, it's like when Southwest Virginia consolidation bug hit down there about five years ago and, and you know those great programs of Appalachia and those schools, uh Big Stone Gap or the Jones Brothers Wentz, they all they all kind of consolidated and not one of those schools down there was nicknamed the Miners. You know, you're in cold country Virginia and not one of them was nicknamed the Miners or, or, or something. Like when they open up the second high school over in Harrisonburg, I mean, I hope it's got to do something with Rocktown. I hope it, there's like something about it, you know? Yeah. Gotta be. There's something. <laughs> I mean, just something. <laughs> and that was our PSA on generic nickname, Shane. We'll, we'll, we're going to do that show, I think. Okay, we'll do I it. I think we're going to do it. <laughs> All right, Shane, All right. we'll talk to you later. Thanks for joining us today. All right, thanks.